Bigger on the Inside presents Twice Upon a Time. to Bigger on the Inside. I am Dan Toland, and with me is Michael Sims. Sir, how are you today? I am doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, excited to be here for this episode. Uh, just like we made it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the 10th anniversary episode of Bigger on the Inside. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's funny. I mean, oh, just man. before we hit record, I told you I was super yawny, and then next thing I know, <laughs> here I am. Oh my god! I, I, I teleported that over to Boston there. Mm. But but yeah. yeah, yeah. This is ten years we've been doing this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, how did that happen? I don't know. I wow. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, like yeah. ten years ago, as we. Re- you know, as this goes out, we started this thing with no idea that it would actually get this far. <laughs> right, yeah. You know? I mean, come on, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I kind of figured we'd get to get through the classic stuff, because I, I, yeah. I knew we were both um, OCD enough to say, hey, we're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But when it came to the modern stuff, I was also sure we'd get to that, but, like, I, I knew at some point we would eventually hit a break, and I didn't know what would happen with that break. If, if like, what, what, you know what I mean? Like, schedule-wise, or just if we would come back to it. You know, so the fact that, yeah, we have had breaks, you know, and it hasn't been 10 years consistently, like every other week or every month or something like that. The fact that it has been going for 10 years, and what is this, episode 158? Yep. Is, is, is amazingly nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the sheer amount of... And yes, I'm patting us on the back here. Uh, the sheer amount of stuff we've we've covered, like just the yeah. hours and hours, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing, you know. So yeah, especially when you think about it, just like early days when we were on a very strict <laughs> biweekly schedule. Yeah, yeah. Um, at a time when we were watching up to twelve half-hour episodes for every podcast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, especially in those very early days. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I'm not sure. I never thought that we'd stop. I mm-hmm. just never, it never occurred to me that we wouldn't, I guess. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, we'll start this and see where it goes. Yeah. And then as kind of goals kind of kept flying by, it got easier to just kind of keep on. Yeah. It. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, um, some, like you said, some of those early stories, you know, it wasn't just a matter of watching 12 or whatever per show. It was like, I mean, I know we've mentioned it, you know, in many, many shows before, but just the reconstructions, you know, mm-hmm. where it, it could get so daunting. Like, I'm contemplating doing a second rewatch, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'll do the reconstructions again. Right. You know, I just don't know if I can. I might 
this time through, if I do do them, try to treat them like audio dramas. Okay. Like, just throw them on my phone, and instead of listening to a podcast, if I know something's going to be recreation, just treat it as if it's a big finish or something. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, yeah. I think that might be how I'm going to get through it. But I'm really contemplating doing it. Um, and it just coincidentally coincides with the 10th anniversary of Bigger on the Inside here. You know? Right. Mm. So, yeah. 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 And I didn't mean to imply that I thought we would, like, completely give up on it. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah, I wasn't trying to imply that. Just, like, I knew we'd hit a break and I just wasn't sure what would happen. You know? Exactly. I mean, it's a very, very, very big British project that, mm-hmm. um, for a long time, hinged on us both having copious amounts of free time. <laughs> Yeah, that quite frankly we don't have anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. either of us. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so weird to think that, like, when it started, I was about to turn. I was months away from turning thirty-one, mm-hmm. and now by basic math, I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> months away from turning forty-one. <laughs> yep, that's the thing. Old age. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where to take it from there. Intro, <laughs> if I'm being yeah. honest, you know. But uh, no, it's it's uh, it's been really great, and I'm glad that we get to kind of keep doing it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I just want to thank everybody. I mean, I, you know, I, should, I should start by thanking you first and foremost for like sitting down with me, especially in the beginning, every other week, on top of all the episodes of the show we were, As just proper. started doing together. Yeah. What's that? As is proper. <laughs> but you know truly thank you for like sitting down with us because the, the, the way the show uh, wound up being shaped was fully I mean we gotta I gotta give credit it's fully your idea mm-hmm. of of someone who knew the program inside and out sitting down with someone like me who was so fresh to it you know at that point I mean think about it okay if we're talking 2008 this show has only been back for about three years at that point right yes. and you yourself had only just gotten into it is that yeah um, I yeah. think was it Oh, was it Chris Brosnahan mm-hmm. who was like, dude, you got to watch Blink. You you have to watch Blink. And I think there might have been a couple other episodes that were thrown my way, but it was Blink that definitely, like, where I sat saw that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm watching this show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I have to thank, you, you know, you for saying, hey, let's do the show this way. I have to thank, uh, again, I do believe it was Chris for saying, hey, you have to watch this episode in particular. And, you know, everybody who has gone along with us on this on this 10-year so far journey, anybody who's listened, anybody who's written in, who's watched with us, whether they've watched everything or just, you know, kind of came in and out, just thank you for just being there and making the show you know, what it is and so fun to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, it's been a huge experience. Mm. And uh, Mike, I thank you for mm. the opportunity to, to do something like this. Oh. Um, and it's just been great to kind of see it through fresh eyes and to kind mm. of, mm. you know, have the experience. Like watching somebody go from somebody who's just kind of dipping their toe into it to somebody who has, you know, become an enormous fan themselves. <laughs> right, yeah. Because, <You know? laughs> I mean, we noticed that, like, once the new show, once we got to the modern series, by that point, you were all in. Oh, know? yeah, yeah. Like, you had seen as much, if not more, than anybody. Uh-huh. By that point, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I forget which episode. There was a, there was a, what is it, a delinea- line of delineation? Is that the phrase mm-hmm. I want? But there was very much a line 
where I'm like, oh my god, when I watch this one, that is everything. Yeah. And I, I forget which episode it was. I'm, I'm sure someone uh, who, who's listening right now could is saying, hey, it was it was this particular episode because I remember saying it on the air too, or at least mm-hmm. I think I do, um, where we just hit that point mm-hmm. <laughs> where I'm like, yeah, okay, I've I've watched it all now. <laughs> you know. I mean, I myself remember hitting that point because I had not seen 100% of the series when mm-hmm. we started here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I hit that point earlier than you did, but mm-hmm. um, I do remember saying, oh my god, next week we're going to watch, I think it was Underworld. Uh, and as soon as I watch Underworld, I will have seen the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it's just it's just gotten to this point where, when I talk to other um, Doctor Who fans, it's just interesting being able to talk to them about the modern era and the classic stuff, um, especially people who are, uh, let's say, like my parents' age, who are in their like late fifties or sixties, who saw it in the seventies, you know, where they're like, oh yeah, I remember. Like like seeing this particular one on TV, like they're not necessarily Doctor Who fans, you know what I mean? Right. But they definitely saw Tom Baker on you know uh, uh, WTTW Channel Eleven in Chicago here when he was on the air. Like I found out that my mom's uh, oldest sister, who passed away when I was really young, so I never really knew her, was a huge Doctor Who fan. I didn't know that. So okay. like if we wouldn't have done this show, I never would have mentioned it to my mom and she would have never said, Oh yeah, Holly loved Tom Baker. And I was like, What? Like, oh my God <laughs> You know? And it made me a little sad that I didn't get a chance to know that aunt and talk to her about Doctor Who, you know? Right. Right. Um so yeah, it's just it's just interesting how this podcast Doctor Who as a whole is like kind of reshaped my world and worldview. And I know that sounds like <laughs> super heady and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it's true, you know. And honestly, it's been really amazing to see fandom change in the last 10 years. Hmm. Um, How so? Well, it was a much lower-key fandom when it started. Oh, okay. You know, when we started doing this, I mean, the show had been back for three years. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And here in America, it was starting to pick up. You know, people weren't starting to notice it. But it's, I mean, so much more weaved into the fabric of fandom, you know, Mm -hmm. than it was. It's completely not unusual to find out that somebody knows the show or is a fan of the show or is wearing the shirt or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I remember before the show came back where this, again, I mean, I've talked about this before. This was the fandom that nobody knew about. Right. You know, um, fandom's gotten much bigger and much more enthusiastic in the last few years, especially since BBC America picked it up. Yeah. So, um, it's just been a really cool thing to see, to see lots of people come at it in different directions with different, find different things to appreciate about it. It's not the hive mind that it used to seem like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like, there was, this was, oh gosh, at least a year ago, possibly even longer. I was out for lunch and I saw this guy walking down the street, and I'm like, is he dressed like David Tennant? Like, he had the, the full, like, coat and the slacks and everything. It looked just mm-hmm. like him. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe not. The next day, I saw the same guy again, this time dressed as Matt Smith, mm-hmm. with the bow tie and everything. And it's like, <laughs> I think that's interesting because, as, you know, like, at some point, uh, people only thought of Doctor Who as being the guy in the scarf. 
Sure. You know, and now, as you said, it's reshaped, and now there's so many different iconic looks that people can mm-hmm. wear either overtly or covertly <laughs> to, to <laughs> express their fandom, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and maybe it is because I literally work next door to a liberal arts college, but okay. I can't tell you how many people I see with Doctor Who buttons, uh, patches, tattoos. Like, I see TARDIS tattoos all the time on different people, and, like, that is so cool to me. You know, yeah. I know a lot of people look at that and go nerd, and I'm like, no, that's badass. That's metal as fuck. Like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I just, I just enjoy the fact that it's crossed like generational lines several times over at this point. You know, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, I mean, the culture has changed. We live now in a culture where people, especially young people, and especially young women, I think, are encouraged to openly enjoy and appreciate the things that they enjoy and yeah. appreciate. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, you remember, you know, hiding your comic book in your bag and hoping nobody would see it. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that was a thing. That yeah. was absolutely a thing. And mm-hmm. that's that's so much less the case now. Right. That's not just Doctor Who, that's everything. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. it's just really refreshing to... to see things that I enjoy being enjoyed but differently by other people. Mm-hmm. You know? And I don't know, maybe this isn't the case, maybe it is. I wonder, did Christopher Eccleston being the Doctor, even though it was only for one mm-hmm. season, did yeah. he lend it some sort of credibility when it came back? Was he like a really big... Like, I knew him as mm-hmm. the guy from 28 Days Later. That's And I was like, oh yeah, he was in Shallow Grave as well. Like, I kind of mm-hmm. knew him. But did, did did he have, like, the acting chops, the prowess, the credibility? So when people are like, oh, Christopher Eccleston's the doctor, therefore mm-hmm. the show must be some sort of must-watch TV. Is, is there anything behind that? Or I mean, I don't know. He I'm definitely, just... I don't know that I'd call him a huge star, but he was definitely extremely well-respected. Okay. He had been, among other things, all the things that you mentioned, plus he'd had a turn on uh, Cracker. I don't know if you remember Cracker. Mm-mm. It was a, a detective show starring Robbie Coltrane. Mm-hmm. That and he was on that for the first season or so. Oh, okay. And it was you know a very popular character on a very popular show, as well as just being somebody that you know people knew of as an excellent actor mm-hmm. who brought a lot of uh, street cred to the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so um, yeah, he was definitely he was a get for this type of thing. Okay. You know, at a time again when people didn't necessarily want to be on this kind of show. Look around you. You stand in the chamber of the dead. You are known to all here, for you are the doctor of war. (laughs) The doctor, yes. The Doctor of War? Never, Mom, never. We offer you a gift. Return to us the human on your TARDIS, and in exchange you may speak with her again. Speak with whom? Young lady, who are you? Is he here? Is the doctor here? Doctor! I knew it! I did, I knew it! 
you can be dead. You don't have the concentration. Doctor? What are you doing? Just keep still, please. Bill Potts. Yeah. My friend Bill Potts was turned into a cyberman. She gave her life so the people she barely knew could live. So let's be clear. Nobody imitates Bill Potts. Nobody mocks Bill Potts. Bill Potts is standing right in front of you. How is that even possible? But long story short, I tell you, Paul. You, you did what? Heather. Jimba, the girl in the puddle. Well, she showed up. She came for me. How romantic. Where is she? Well, she's... She's... And how did you get here? I don't... I, don't... I can't... I don't remember about your car. That device. What, 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 what is it? Sonic screwdriver. A, a what? Screwdriver? It's really a very good job. An audio screwdriver? There are only three low-key markers indicating that she's a duplicate. I'm not a duplicate. So, who has been stealing the faces of the dead? So, first... Up today, wait, what? Yes, first up today, we <laughs> are looking at Twice Upon a Time, Peter Capaldi's final episode as the Doctor. And this was the Christmas special from, was it 2016 or 17? Uh, this was 2017. Yeah, okay. So um, this picks up right where the Doctor, was it the Doctor Falls, the last one? Yes, it was. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I got distracted by something. Yes, this oh. is the Doctor Falls. No problem. No problem. And we pick up right where it left off. But this time we're seeing it from the point of view of the original Doctor, who is um, just... His, his regeneration part process is about to kick off, just as uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctor is <laughs> about to kick off. And uh, we see uh, Ben and Polly. It's Ben and Polly, right? Yes. In the TARDIS. They've been recast, but we see them in the TARDIS, and he's like, I gotta go. He steps outside the TARDIS, and they're at the South Pole, if I recall. And mm -hmm. he walks up, and he sees Capaldi's doctor um, sitting there, too. And uh, they start they start talking, and the original doctor uh, quickly realizes that this guy is another Time Lord. It takes him a little while to figure out that he's a future regeneration of himself, but he does suss out that this guy is a Time Lord. And while they're talking, all of a sudden, the snow stops. It doesn't stop snowing. The snow just hangs in the air. So time has kind of frozen, except these two Time Lords. Well, as they're talking, out walks a World War One soldier. And I'm just going to call him the Captain for now, because uh, we don't learn his name until an awesome moment at the end. And um, <laughs> he is saying, hey, um, does anybody know where I can find a doctor? We then cut back and we see what his deal is. Um, he was uh, stuck in um, 
It's uh, like I said, well, World War One, and specifically, it's a uh, Christmas Day, nineteen fourteen, and he's stuck in a. It's not a trench. It's like a area that's been bombed, and he, uh, he, an English soldier, is in there with a German sh- soldier. Uh, they're both um, shocked. Um, I think the German shoulder, <laughs> that shoulder soldier, uh, might be shot because he's kind of holding a side, but they're holding guns at each other, mm-hmm. and the captain is like, you know, I, I really don't want to kill you, but I will in self-defense, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Well, as he's talking to this guy, um, unsuccessfully, because neither of them speak the other's language, uh, time freezes again, just like it did for the doctors. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in the South Pole. We pick up with him finding the doctors. That's where we are. They um, see some light, and that freaks the captain out, and the doctors say, okay, let's get in the TARDIS. Um, The original doctor is shocked to see... (laughs) What has become of his very tidy, very white and bright TARDIS. <laughs> and um, they, let me think. So while they're out there, the TARDIS winds up getting um, basically a giant <laughs> a giant claw from like a claw machine. Uh, <laughs> comes down, grabs the TARDIS, brings it inside of itself. And we meet this sort of cybernetic robot person who's uh, made of glass. And she says... That um, I don't remember what the name of her uh, people are, but she says that they are what, like the testament, the testimony, the testimony. That's it. So what they do is um, they are from the far, far, far future, and they um, go back to the exact moment that someone dies, and they remove them from time, get their memories, and then put them back to the moment where they died. So time is not disrupted, um, and that's what they do. That's all they reveal for now, and. They show the Doctor, now mind you, it's the original Doctor who's standing outside the TARDIS. The Capaldi Doctor doesn't step outside the TARDIS just yet. Um, Bill walks out from the shadows. And uh, this causes uh, Capaldi to come out. And um, uh, he thinks that something sinister is going on with this this race. Um, So uh, he gets all of them out of there, including the uh, Bill who he quickly figures out is not Bill. Uh, he's, he, he's like, there's a couple of different mi- minor differences in her face or whatever so make, to, to prove to me that this is not Bill. And they get the hell out of there by... They, they, they leave the ship, but not via Capaldi's TARDIS. Well, sort of, kind of. Anyways, they get back to the South Pole and they get in the original TARDIS. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and... They want to figure out uh, who these people are, so they go to the center of the galaxy because there's a database there that Capaldi's doctor needs to um, get a hold of. It turns out that that database is Rusty the Good Dalek. (laughs) (laughs) Remember him from the Shrinky Dink episode? (laughs) Interesting callback. (coughs) And so um, the doctor um, figures out that the uh, cybernetic person... Um, was based on a real person from the future and she and her company it turns out which I think becomes a species or whatever are not evil they are not doing a bad thing they are allowing they are taking the memories of people who are just about to die and putting them into these like glass cybernetic robot thingy bodies to allow the dead to speak so yeah so they discover that these that these uh, beings are actually good natured that they're not doing anything bad or sinister or wrong or anything like that. So, um, let's see. They 
that's really the, the end of, of that story. They, mm-hmm. they take the captain back to the moment where he is going to have to die. Um, uh, it's At this point, it's revealed that, no, this isn't physically Bill, but this is these are Bill's memories. These people did visit Bill at some point. We don't see when. We can kind of figure out when it would be, though. Uh, probably right before the Dalek shell fell over and the Doctor falls. And uh, they got her memories. So for all intents and purposes, this is Bill. Um, so, yeah, they, they put the soldier back in place. Um, and uh, they say, hey, you're going to forget us. We're going to put a perception filter around this around us so you can't see us. And he says, okay. Thank you for, you know, giving me a few more minutes of life here and for showing me the wonders of the universe. But can you do me a favor? I accept I'm going to die in a minute here, but can you do me a favor and visit my family? Just check in on them. I have a wife and I have a couple of kids. Check in on them and make sure they're good. And the original doctor says, yes, absolutely. What is your family name? And he says, Lethbridge Stewart. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And Capaldi looks up and he's like, oh, I can guarantee you we're going to be working working with your family here. Or checking in on them, I should say. And um, so, yeah, so he goes back to uh, holding the gun at the German soldier and vice versa. And all of a sudden, Christmas carols start to be sung uh, from the German side, then the English side. And it turns out, like I said, it's Christmas Day 1914. This is the Christmas armistice mm-hmm. where there was like a one-day peace between, uh, or maybe it was longer or shorter, but someone with a history degree can correct me there. Um, or someone who just actually knows history. I guess I don't need a degree. But um, what do you call it? where both sides just um, realized, you know, let's just let's just have a Christmas day here. Um, this shows... Um, the, the Capaldi Doctor, that there is goodness in the universe, that everything doesn't have to be war and gloom and all this and that. Um, and the two Doctors, they part ways. Because um, something I didn't say is that Capaldi's Doctor was refusing to regenerate. It's not that he wanted to stay Capaldi forever. It's that he was like, fuck it. I just want peace. I just want to die. And so his original self says, look, I'm going to go back and I'm going to regenerate. Um, so... Um, you know, see you around, but I need to know, are you going to regenerate? Or are you going to die? Capaldi doesn't answer. Uh, so yeah, the original doctor roops off. We see um, his regeneration into Pat Troughton. And we then go back to Capaldi, who's in the TARDIS, gives, you know, one of the famous farewell speeches that every actor who plays the doctor does. And oh, oh, oh I forgot a big part. Um, before that happens, um, the, uh, the cybernetic bill um, is there and you know says goodbye to the doctor and Nardle shows up in this form so kind of confirming that maybe he didn't survive that Cyberman ship just mm-hmm. but I guess his image could be from a, a, a future time it doesn't have to be from that time specifically but yep there's definitely Nardle's memories walking around there and she that being Bill um, gives doctor the doctor some of his memories back including uh, the memory of Clara because I forgot, I completely forgot that they took away. Like he knew he traveled with someone, but he couldn't remember what she looked like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah, like like Clara was just was like a blind spot in his memory. Yeah, so you could say the doctor had a moment of clarity. I'm sorry, that was so Mike. bad. I know, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud of that. <laughs> You're a bad person. I know. I'm going to hell for that. 
they literally just put a little sign on a chair in hell that said Mike uh-huh. Sims right fucking there. And above it is going to be that awful pun. And I will oh. look at that forever and ever and go, I'm still so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... Um, anyways, that's when the doctor gets in his TARDIS um, and has his big monologue saying, you know, I was the doctor and regenerates into Jody Whitaker. But the TARDIS goes kablooey because, of course, when the doctor regenerates inside the TARDIS, it goes kablooey. And um, she's trying to, like, uh, control the TARDIS, but she can't. The doors open up. She falls out. And as she falls out, she sees the TARDIS on fire dematerialize and disappear. And she falls to, well, we don't know where until we cover Jodie Whittaker's first season at some point in the future. So anything you want to add to Twice Upon a Time here? I don't think so, no. So what are you thinking of this Christmas special? Um... As a last doctor experience, it's very good. Mm-hmm. As a story, it's not so hot. Okay. <laughs> if that makes sense at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get some awesome 12 stuff. We get some really cool first doctor stuff. Yeah. You know, um, all the little bits and bobs that they add to things are really cool. Mark Gatiss is always fun when he shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's great to see Bill again, even though she doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. Um,. You know, all the stuff at the end with, with Clara and Nar- Nardole and so on, that's really fun to see. Mm-hmm. The speech at the end is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But the actual story, you're the monster. Oh, wait, no, you're a good guy. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens here. Right, yeah. And I know that that's actually kind of partly the point of the story. But also, nothing happens here. We go to the library planet to meet Rusty the Good Dalek, and nothing happens there. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what the point is of going there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I'm, I'm honestly a little bit lost at, at that point. Um, however, that's not why you're watching this episode. You're watching this episode to say goodbye to 12. You're watching this episode to see him interact with, you know, the first Doctor and say goodbye to his friends and give the big speech and regenerate. Mm-hmm. And that stuff, it does very well. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, it's really hard for me to talk about this one, especially, I would say, about the first 25 to 30 minutes and then the last 10 minutes without being just a geeking out fanboy. Then when it sort of slows down and they do go to that planet, you said it was the library planet, not the library. Oh, planet, okay, like okay, a library planet. Gotcha. Okay, I thought that was a reference I didn't catch. So, but yeah, sorry. No, 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 no problem. When they go there and they're being shot at by Rusty and the Doctor's still like trying to figure out if Bill's Bill and what's going on. Yeah, like that is where it it stops relying on references, at least deep cut references, because obviously there's still the reference to Rusty, you know. Right. Um, but everything else around that, like I said, I just can't look at objectively and it could be awful. And I'd be like, but it's so good. Look at all the references, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that I think kind of goes to your point is it's like this, this episode is really meant just to be one big reference and love letter to classic era Doctor Who Mm -hmm. that I don't know if you showed this to someone who was unfamiliar with that era. Mm Mm-hmm. Even in passing, if they would enjoy it. 
I think or, that's true. Or if they would just go, "What's going on? Why is this happening?" And rightfully so, I think they'd they 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 should sit there and go, "Why? What is this?" You know, because um, it's not like a subtle joke where, you know, fans will get this and it, other people won't. You know, and the, but because there's those jokes where you're like, okay, it's so on the nose. Even people who don't know it are like, that's a reference, and it kind of pulls them out. That's what the bulk of this story is. That's what I'm trying to get at. Or at least it could be, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's important to remember that we're not just saying goodbye to Peter Capaldi. This is Stephen Moffat mm. saying goodbye to Doctor Who. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We got to talk about that. And I think that. that that's really what is informing this episode. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um,. So like I said, I enjoy it, but the question is, do I enjoy it because I'm a fan or because it's good? And I think the answer is more fan than good, mm -hmm. not that it's bad. But the reason I say that is because when they do go to that planet and he, he is mucking about with Rusty, I just found myself at that point, I don't want to say not caring, but I was like, well, what's, what's, what is the point of this? Oh, fine, he's, he's getting a database and he finds out that they're really good guys. So like, but, but what's happening? You know, and then when you find out there really is no big typical Doctor Who action-y story. Mm -hmm. I just kind of go, then what was the point? You know? Kind of. Like, this yeah. all could have been resolved with the conversation at the very beginning. Yeah. and I, tell us, Just tell us what you're here to do. <laughs> if you tell us what we're here to do, then we don't actually have to go through all of this stuff. Yeah, and I appreciate that this story is more about Capaldi's Doctor reconciling if he wants to continue to live... You know, and the first Doctor struggling with regenerating for the very first time. And, you know, the thematic elements that Moffat's putting in there. And that's, re you know, it's more character-driven than action-driven. I appreciate that. And I understand that. And I think it's an interesting call to do for a last Doctor story. You know, because think about um, what was Matt Smith. I mean, what, he sits there and he ages for 2,000 years or whatever. But he's still fighting off everything that's coming at him. David right. Tennant. What was David Tennant's? That was... um. That was another action-y one, I assume. <laughs> oh, that's him in the chamber with Moth. That's him right? in the chamber with Moth. Moth. Yeah. Wilf, yeah. Wilf, that's it, not Moth. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, I mean, that, that had him falling from through a ceiling, you know? Right. <laughs> and glass going everywhere. So, you know, there were these big action-y ones, and this one was much more subdued, I guess is mm -hmm. the way I would put it. So, anyways, I don't want to keep hammering on that point, you know? But we yeah. just have to get that out there, you know. Because, I mean, he's basically spending this entire episode refusing to die of the wounds that he received at the end of the last story. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Because, um, I mean, he's... I mean, we've long established that he's very old and very tired. Mm -hmm. And not especially loving his life mm -hmm. anyway. Like, at the best of times. But he's... I mean, he's exhausted. He's incredibly hurt. He's just... He's devastated. He's just lost his best friend. Um, you know, I mean, it makes sense that this is kind of the point where he'd be like, is it okay if I just lie down now? Bro, oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're right, I didn't think about that. From his vantage point, Bill died, like, what, ten minutes ago? Yeah. You know, or this, the Cyberman version of Bill, at least, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I forgot about that, yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't know what happened to Missy, but he knows that Missy's not there. Mm -hmm. He thinks he thinks that he, he, he thinks he failed her. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's very, very seriously thinking that it's just time. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if he's old, he's tired, he's hurt, it's time. I like the way 
they have the original doctor push him mm-hmm. um and make him sort of cuz the original doctor and who uh, what's the name of the actor who's playing him here cuz the guy Bradley. and that's the guy who played him in um what's what's that thing um he played Hartnell in um an adventure in space and time yeah so they use the typical doctor's budding heads mm-hmm. <laughs> jokiness but to kind of show that the Okay, typically when a doctor meets himself, it's more like, I can't believe you're wearing that scarf, or what's with the hair, you know? Mm-hmm. This is a man who's seeing himself 2,000 years in the future or whatever mm-hmm. it's been for him, and he is appalled. And mm-hmm. at first it's very minor things, the sunglasses, the guitar, the TARDIS being dark and dusty. Mm-hmm. But then when he sees, like, you know, you know, he is the doctor of war, like, the look on his mm-hmm. face is so good. And I really enjoyed having, um, you know, kind of changing the dynamic there, where it's like, oh, we're just needling each other because, man, I don't like your coat, mm-hmm. or I don't like your attitude, to, whoa, what am I going to become? He's afraid of what his future is going to bring upon him and the galaxy, you could imagine. Yeah. You know, and I just, I just like that new take on that old trope of having the Doctor not get on with himself, you know. And at the same time, we from, you know, from the reverse angle... We have, and I, and I know I've, I've made this comparison before, where it's like the doctor is suddenly finding himself interacting with his fourteen-year-old self. Yes, <laughs> who's just terrible and embarrassing all the time. Uh huh. Stop talking. Stop talking. Stop talking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually used to be like this. Please stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's true. If you found yourself talking to fourteen-year-old Mike, you would just want to punch him in the face constantly. Oh, constantly. Stop being like this. <laughs> Why are you like this? Uh-huh. <laughs> you <know>? uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the way, like, <laughs> you know, when when he he's, he tells Bill, oh, I know he misses you because the TARDIS needs a good dusting. It's like, oh no 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 no. Let's go look at the the the, the map over here. Look at all the bright lights, you know, <laughs> and just his casual sexism with the captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then I love the way Bill is just, just like turns it back on him. Mm-hmm. Like fuck you guys, you know? Yeah. Like you may be from the the you may be a space doctor from the future, but I'm a 21st century person. Like mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> oh my god. And the whole smack bottom moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was so wonderful. <laughs> Can we never talk about that again? How about we never talk about anything but that ever again? (laughs) Yeah, that is such a great moment between Bill and the Doctor. Because even though at that point you know it's not really Bill, it's still Bill's memories. That's Bill. Mm -hmm. And so she would totally like that that's a moment for me where it's like, yeah, okay, it's not physically Bill, but it's that's her. That's exactly how she would have reacted to that. You know, with her best friend, who's shown her wonders she never could have imagined. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. <laughs> and one of the things I liked was when Capaldi's doctor put the sonic sunglasses mm-hmm. on the first doctor. <laughs> and on one hand, you could view it as, oh, look, there's silly sunglasses on Grandpa. But mm-hmm. in from Capaldi's perspective, he put sunglasses on a baby, you know? Mm-hmm. As you said, on his 14-year-old self. It's like, you know, this this self-serious, you know, old man would never have worn them. Which makes it funny for us. But yeah, as you said, from his perspective, this guy's a 
teenager, if that. Yeah. You know, and he's just dressing him in, in, in a silly manner that he knows will annoy him, but makes his hearts go warm, you know? <laughs> oh. Because it's also true, like, from a, from a perspective, it's almost like, again, you go back in time and meet, you know, the self that was you as a college sophomore in a black turtleneck who, you know, was, like, super serious and, you know, uh, railed against everything and, 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 you know, all of a sudden you're finding yourself, you know, grandpa's, you know, putting, putting sunglasses on you and saying, you know, just get over yourself and, you know, seriously, just, you know, you, you're going to loosen up, please do it faster. <laughs> Right, yeah, <laughs> and I will have you know, my turtlenecks were hunter green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's right. <laughs> what did you think of David Bradley as the first Doctor? Loved him. Yeah. Absolutely loved him. I don't know if he was one hundred percent spot on, mm-hmm. um, but I think he captured the spirit of him. Um, as best as possible. Um, I like the fact that he quickly does accept that the that Capaldi is his future self. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not like this whole like will when when will he get it? You know, like it takes like maybe three minutes of them being together and he accepts it. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I thought he did a fairly decent, no, a really good job of of playing the doctor. What do you feel of him here? Oh, I think he's great. I think he's great. I think he's tapped more into the kind of grumpy grandpa side than the the one that's kind of giggling under his breath and mm, excited mm-hmm. to see new things. Mm-hmm. But that's a very legitimate side of the first Doctor. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think he's great. And mm-hmm. clearly so does everybody else because, you know, he's come back to do big finishes and he's, you know, he was spot on as William Hartnell in that, in that TV movie. Mm-hmm. So, um... Yeah, no, he does. He does a wonderful job. And that moment where he first sees the doctor with the sonic shades on, mm-hmm. and he drops his monocle—that <laughs> was such. It's just a nice little touch it to was. add in there, and he sells it so well. Where it's like, I'm not sure Hartnell's doctor really would have done that if he was here to to still, mm-hmm. you know, do these stories. But I believed it, he would, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't do any of the flubbed lines, and I'm glad for that, because back then we could accept it as part of the mm-hmm. Doctor. If you right. do it now, I think viewers, even viewers who understand why that's happening, would go, why didn't they do another take? Why'd they allow that flub in? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be very careful with how you put those flubs in. So I like the fact that they just completely sidestepped that aspect of um, Hartnell's portrayal of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that it it was kind of just a way that that doctor was, but also just a something that you accepted as part of British TV at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you you got it. You got one take. You got one chance to do it right. And if you messed up a little bit, that you just kept on rolling. Yeah, and that was just something that you accepted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you just happened that he probably did a little more often than most actors did. Right. <laughs> yeah. I thought there was something else I wanted to to say about him specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will add, I know this isn't the first time we've had someone come in and play um, an early days Doctor, specifically the first Doctor. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the third person to play him in Doctor Who proper, right? That's right. 
And initially that bothered me because I'm like, if the actors have passed on, it loses some of its specialness to have multi-doctor stories. Mm-hmm. But his portrayal of Hartnell's doctor made me get over that. Yes. He, it really did. Like, I still think it should be reserved for special moments. I don't want to see them bring him back all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but or, or cast someone else's Hartnell or cast someone else's Pertwee. Unless they're going to do Sean Pertwee, then yes, please. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, 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 I'm now sort of over that. And I hope that if they do it, they they limit how often they do it, you know, because it is it is more special when the act when you have the potential to have the actor come back. But I understand <laughs> we don't have those three men with us anymore, you right. know, so if you're going to do it, you have to recast it, you know. So, yeah. And I I like how they transitioned from the actual old footage to the new to mm. like when he shifted into color and they went widescreen, yes. and it looked like they did a digital thing where they took Hartnell's face and um, this guy's face. Would you say Bradley? Yes. And they mapped them onto each other and then morphed it yeah. into what would be his face. And then they had Capaldi even reference it and saying, "Look at you, your face is all over the place," <laughs> which is real. It's a real nice touch to explain. Yeah, he's not the same guy, but there, there's the line. Let's move on. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. What do you think of the captain? Oh, he's wonderful. Mm. Um, I mean, I I never got over feeling like this was Mark Gatiss being Mark Gatiss in the show that he really loves. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, he did feel a little bit like he was kind of hamming it up a little bit, like he was what? hamming it up a little. Oh, bit. okay. Because uh-huh. I mean, partly that's just the nature of this kind of role. Mm-hmm. You know, where he's he's the very proper upper-class British person from 1914. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of, of, of that to, to this kind of role. Um, but, I mean, that said, he's... I thought he was... I thought he was quite good. I thought that he... played... somebody who was kind of coming slowly around to the idea that he was about to die and, and less enthusiastic about it than he was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I liked that. You know that that kind of that realization was setting in now that he was like being given a chance to think about it before it was actually happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he did that very very well. Mm-hmm. Like he was fine. I just I just I'm not exactly sure what he brought to the story. Yeah, the role itself. What like what that role brought to the story, other than he's got the same last name as somebody that <laughs> the doctor is going to, you know, be best friends with 50 years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Again, that's not on Gatiss. I think Gatiss mm. does a great job with, with what he's given. I just don't know that, that that role actually adds anything to the story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because they could have used anybody. They could have used Bill. Yeah. They could have went back to the moment, like, they, they absolutely could have went back to the moment where she became a cyber person mm-hmm. or right before the, 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 the her cyber body fell over and plucked her out and, and used her as the one who has to accept death but still gets to live with Heather and all. You know what I mean? But it, it, it did seem like it was there more for that fanboy nudge. Although, and I think that this kind of gets into something we were talking about fairly recently, that would have been exactly the same thing that happened to Clara. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And I totally think right. that mm-hmm. we're at the point now, well, we're well past the point, but we're definitely at the point now where Moffat's repeating himself. Yes, uh, to the point that it's like extremely 
like you had like you can't not notice it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact that he did it to this new character rather than to just have it be Bill, which honestly would have made it a little more effective, mm-hmm. but also would have just driven home and this is what happens to Capaldi's companions now. Right. Yeah. They're plucked out just before they die and given mm-hmm. a few minutes to get their shit together and maybe escape at the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, now I I do have a question about the captain. Because mm-hmm. I'm a little thrown off. Is he the Brig's dad or grandfather? Do you know? Well, if the Brig is like 40-ish at the end of the 60s, then it's possible that this is... It's possible this is his dad. It's I Honestly, it could go either way. Because I've always assumed it was his dad, but I thought I read something somewhere that said it was his grandfather. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I this mean, is it, 19... I, I can, I'm just, like, doing the math in my head. Like, say, Nick Courtney... Like, I happen to know Nick Courtney was 40 in 1970. Okay. When when he became a full-time cast member. Uh-huh. Which meant that, you know, he would have been born in 19, uh, 1930. Mm-hmm. Which would be... 16 years after this takes place? Yeah. So it's kind of that weird halfway point where either the... The, uh... Either the captain was pretty old when the brig was born, mm-hmm. or he had a son who had uh, the brig pretty young. Yeah, because they never. He does say I have. He mentions sons, mm-hmm. but he never says their age. So yeah, if they're six in nineteen fourteen, by the time nineteen thirty rolls around, they're twenty two. It's not impossible for them to have their own family, and that would then be the brig. You know. Yeah. So okay. So I just I just didn't. Know. I mean, either way. I bought him as a member of the Lethbridge-Stewart family. Oh, sure. Um, when I first saw the promotional artwork for this one, which involved uh, Gatiss in this uniform, I was like, is he playing a young Brig? Mm-hmm. You know? And I was like, oh, please, please, please. And then when it, you know, they're not saying his name. I'm like, okay, it's not the Brig. But then at the end, when I just have that huge fanboy moment, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, I can see why he was playing this role the way he was then. You know, taking... Hints from Courtney's uh, portrayal of uh, the Brig, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, okay, okay. And uh, just staying on him for a little while longer, that speech, that monologue that mm-hmm. he gives inside the TARDIS, um, when we're starting to discover that Bill, you know, oh, is Bill really menacing? You know, what is going on here? Um, that it's, I thought he did a really good job giving that monologue. You know, about, I think you had referenced it, about, like, I was willing to die, but now I'm not so brave anymore, mm-hmm. you know. Because, um, I mean, when he first steps out of the TARDIS when they're in that ship, he flat out says, look, if it means this young lady can live, I'll gladly give my life. I was just about to die anyways. Mm-hmm. So he's still in that mindset. But then a few minutes later, he's changed, you know, and you can't blame him, you know. Yeah. Um, and But I, I, I do have a question here. Do they imply that the doctor made it so that this guy will not die in World War One. Like, he's going to go on and get to know his his family and go home to them? Is that what they were implying? The doctor... Like, the impression that I got mm-hmm. is that the doctor basically tweaked something mm-hmm. so that he knew that when things rolled up again, it would be the time that the Christmas truce started. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I mm-hmm. that might just be me reading into it. I don't honestly know for sure. Yeah, because I wasn't quite sure. He's yeah, because he says like, "Oh, I shifted the 
I shifted the blah 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 by a couple of hours, and that's why we're here. But I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I don't need it explained. But yeah, I was just curious if he he because if he does get to you know go home and see his family, or you know, is he still going to die in the battlefield? But the next day, as opposed to in that hole with the German soldier, you know, mm-hmm. that's all. That's just, that was just my curiosity there, you know. Right. And there is one. I hate to say plot hole, but I mm-hmm. that I do have to mention. Okay. If they're inside the first Doctor's TARDIS, where are Ben and Polly? That is a very good point. Because he didn't leave them at the South Pole, right. <laughs> and they're not in the other Doctor's TARDIS. And if they and I wouldn't have thought of it if they didn't acknowledge and recast Ben and Polly. If it was just mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm about to regenerate. Oh, blah blah blah, and they just kind of. Unless you knew he had companions at the time, you you can just you wouldn't you would just think okay he's by himself you know, mm-hmm. but they go on this whole of or did, did he like shunt them off to the back of the TARDIS like what is it's it's such I I shouldn't be bothered by it but I'm like where are Ben and Polly I like Ben and Polly give me Ben and yeah. Polly <laughs> right right so anyways right. I will say I did really like that in like the opening scene where they're they're Ben and Polly get him out of the machine and, uh-huh. and get him back to the TARDIS that that set looks like it was made out of poster board. Oh, I'll have to go check that out. I didn't pick up on that. Like, it looks like a cheap 1966 set. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> like, like the machine that they get him out of, like, they open the gate and it wobbles a little bit. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I'm totally going back and watching that then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, what else are you thinking about this one? Anything so, or? the testimony. Is yes. it implied that they basically get everybody just before they die? Yes. Okay. So that basically means that Nardole could have lived another year after mm-hmm. the Doctor left. He could have lived another fifty years after the Doctor left. We don't know. Right. Okay. Yeah, and like, the, and if it is fifty years, maybe he still looks like Nardole did two minutes ago for the Doctor because mm-hmm. that's the face the Doctor knows. You know. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not sure that I buy again because the, the show seems to be telling us that memories are the person. Right. That because the Bill that we're talking to is the Doctor's memories of Bill, then that makes this Bill. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I even kind of buy that. No, no. Like, not even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the glass pilot person, mm-hmm. that looked ass. <laughs> It wasn't good. <laughs> that was that's one of the worst special effects they've done in a long time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm thinking like early days. Bad. Uh-huh. It looked really, really poor. Yeah. Yeah, like the um what do you call it? The 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 ones from the farty episodes. Yeah. The or the mm-hmm. not the the Slovene? No. The the Slovene, yeah. Yeah, like them slipping in and out of the the, the human skins, like the few mm-hmm. time we see it is a better effect, and that's from two thousand what five or six two thousand five yeah. than what we just got here in at the end of twenty seventeen. I mean, yeah. I went along with it because I'm like, okay, they just have this. They're meant to be digitized, but if they're from the far flung future, I would expect their 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 CGI skills to be better than that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, so sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. No, no, go for it. I was actually going to ask what else you had. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, um, what did you think of them overall? I mean, not not just their design, but the, I don't think we've covered, like, the idea of them. I know we said, oh, they're bad guys. Oh, wait, now they're not. But do yeah. you have any other thoughts about them? Or, I mean, you know? it's an interesting idea. 
I like I like the it, it's an interesting idea. I just I don't understand why they wouldn't have just like when they first were talking to our heroes, mm-hmm. why they wouldn't have just said this is us and this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, just not having that conversation is the only reason why there was any dramatic tension at all in the story. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. If they had just said, this is why we're here, then, okay, that sounds great. You, you carry on. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, the doctor probably wouldn't have believed him, but then, mm-hmm. okay, he would just scan him with the sonic, and then he's like, oh, wait, you actually are telling the truth. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. And... I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. But the episode that just aired, Demons of the Punjab, mm-hmm. when people die, they're, they're they're starting to get a little crowded in the number of yeah. people they're having around them. That's, exactly. That's, that's, You're that's, absolutely right. Like, oh, my God. Like Just before I, we die, we scoop you up and take... These guys will scoop you up and take your memories and put you back. And then these other ones that we just met on Demons of the Punjab are going to just watch you die. Right. Yeah, so, so like, there's like a there's like a gauntlet of aliens <laughs> that you have to go through in the moments before you die. <laughs> and next thing you know, like Rusty's there and he's like, "I will protect you from other Daleks." Like, what are you doing here? You know, like I don't know. But now you also become a Cyberman, and now you're in Missy's uh, hellscape or whatever that thing she created with Afterlife. That's yep. That's another like, one. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going? <laughs> Like, so okay, okay. So these ones will take your memories. These will watch you die, and these ones will scoop you up and turn you into a Cyberman. <laughs> okay. Oh my god! So like I said, I know that's getting way ahead of us, but I'm like, because that episode just aired, I could not mm-hmm. not bring that up. You know? Yeah. So I won't say anything more about that episode because we'll get to that. You know, some months down the line. But yeah. Uh, so do you want to move on to? Um, Capaldi and yeah. Moffat and the end of this era? Yeah, let's do that. Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Capaldi. Okay. I believe that he was a terrific doctor who was kind of in a middling era. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he could have and should have had much better stories. Mm-hmm. When he was given great material to work with, he killed it. He always raised bad material. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to compare it to Colin Baker because I don't think that Capaldi's stuff was nearly as bad as Colin's. But it's kind of a similar situation. He's a terrific, terrific doctor who just did not get the material that really could have stretched him. Yeah, I agree. I think... I, I wish he had a different showrunner. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with the amount of time he served, because he did, what, the typical three years, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or three I mean, he was stretched over a long time, but yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the number of episodes he did. Um, uh, without sounding like a bad thing, I'm glad to see him go, you know, mm-hmm. just to freshen the show up as is needed with the show. But yeah, it felt like I never knew what I was going to get mm-hmm. from him every time I tuned in. And that I don't think that's necessarily his fault because he was just doing what the scripts would ask of him. You mm-hmm. know, when he first appears, oh, you know, is 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 he is he actually still a good guy? Because there we, I mean, they they still we still don't know if he pushed that clockwork man mm-hmm. to his death. I mean, we know he didn't, but the, the fact that it's that they never actually answer that, mm-hmm. you know. So when we first meet him, 
Loki, they set him up as this, like, dark guy. But then he's sitting there walking around in, like, some hoodie-ish coat thing with sunglasses, and he's playing the guitar. And then the next episode, he's... Like, his personality never felt consistent. You know? Yeah, I... To kind of get into that, it's actually really interesting. Because I have recently found myself watching a fair amount of his earlier stuff. uh, Season 8 and some Series 9 stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's remarkable just how different he is over the course of his time. Mm -hmm. But it feels natural. It does feel like he's progressed naturally to me. But like watching that early stuff where he's... He's still... He's a good person, but he's not necessarily a kind person. Mm -hmm. You know? Like he's... His morality is different from yours. He's going to do what he needs to do to get the results that will ultimately be the best for everyone, but... He's not there to spare your feelings. He's not even going to even notice that you have them, to be honest with you. <laughs> and now watching this most recent series where he's a much kinder person. Um, it's remarkable how much he's changed in, over the course of those, you know, 30, 40 odd episodes. I don't know mm-hmm. offhand how many there were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but it did feel like he was not... Like, he didn't just wake up one morning and decide he was going to be nice to people. Okay, okay. You know? Like, it did feel like Clara put a lot of work into this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> like, 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 this is ultimately the same person who had a sign on the south side of his door that said, Go away, humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's not going to put that sign out there now. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know? He's a little more patient. He's a little more con- uh, considerate, but it's effort that he's putting out now. That wasn't necessarily. There was maybe a little more effortless with Eleven. Okay, if that makes sense. It does, and maybe it's because I haven't watched um, his previous season since we covered them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an episode here and there. I'd have to kind of look at the the list to see if I have or I have not. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I'm thinking there was some inconsistency because I wasn't. I haven't seen it in a while and I was watching it in such a choppy fashion and for some of those I've only seen them once I know I've only seen mm-hmm. some of those once you know yep. so maybe that's where my where I'm coming from there mm-hmm. you know and I hate to say this because I don't want to put anything on her mm-hmm. I also got so tired of Clara yeah that um I, I think that kind of, and I know th- this is slightly shifting from Capaldi to the era as a whole, and I, I don't mean to shift shift us there too early, but mm-hmm. I think because I kind of got tired of the character, not the actor, but definitely the character, mm-hmm. it definitely influenced my thoughts about the Doctor. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that makes sense, you know? It does. Okay. It does make sense, yeah. Okay. Um, but no, I, I think it was great on the BBC and the producers to cast um, an older man. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and that's what I wanted to mention earlier. I love when the original Doctor looks at him and he's like, I thought, you know, I would get younger. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what do you mean? I, you know, Because um, Iscapaldi, when he was cast, was he technically the oldest person ever cast as the Doctor? He was he older was, than Hartnell, right? No, or he was younger about? than Hartnell, but just by like a few months. Okay, okay. So, I mean, after... You know, going with the the two men who had held the role before him, mm-hmm. you know, getting younger and younger, you know, I really do think it was a gutsy move to cast someone of Capaldi's age. Not that he's like, you know, a death's door or anything yeah. like that, you know, but 
you know that 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 could have lost them you know some fans like um, i think mm-hmm. i've never done the math but i think when capaldi left at that point he was the oldest actor to have played the doctor ever okay okay like he was i believe like like again he was a little younger than hartnell when he started but i believe he passed hartnell when he left because of the the stretched out like the year that they took off yeah so I, I think that wound up being a good thing for his character, mm-hmm. the, the fact that they cast uh, Peter Capaldi, because then you do buy him having the questionable morality. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when at the end of this story, he's like, oh, as you said, I just want to rest. Isn't it my time just to lay down, as you said? If we were t- having Matt Smith say that, and not in the old age makeup, but, you know, actual Matt Smith, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know if I would buy it. Right, but but when you have a guy in his what fifties or whatever mm-hmm. with the, with that amazing you know big gray hair, you you uh, and, and his his just lived in face, mm-hmm. like and none of this is you know meant to insult the man's looks or anything. Um, you do buy it much more than if it was mm-hmm. a younger actor. So he sold the big moments for me yeah. overall. You know, yeah. I did I did enjoy him as the doctor. Like I said, just for me, it just felt a little inconsistent at times. And like, I mean, let's face it, the guy he was put on this earth to deliver those big Moffat speeches. Mm-hmm. Like, like Smith was also very good at it, but that was kind of where Capaldi shined. Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, I'm thinking of like like the Zygon two part, which overall was not very good. Mm-hmm. As far as I, I was concerned, I'm pretty sure you agreed. But then, like, he just got that speech that just completely raised the level of the entire story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just something that he was in. He was always really, really good at that. Yeah. You know, plus, which also was, was kind of the point where, where you got the idea that underneath the crankiness and the, you know, I don't have time for any of this bullshit that he really did care. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, and, and he was very good at, at projecting that and making that a thing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, Plus, you know, he was he was he was also very good at being like conveying the whole aging punk rocker guy. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, like you know, like the guy that maybe used to be much more volatile mm-hmm. and much more in your face, and now he's just kind of, you know, he you know wears his, you know, he wears his plaid pants and he maybe plays bass, you know, with his you know with his buddies in their living room on the weekends, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Because, you know, we all know that guy, and some of us are that guy, but, um, you know, it's 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 a very interesting way of playing it that isn't, it's not, like, totally in your face, but it still comes across very well. Yeah. Yeah, you know how the trend in comics right now mm-hmm. was, like, Old Man Logan, Old Man Hawkeye, mm-hmm. they're doing the Old Man Star-Lord in a few months, they're even doing, at DC, they're doing Old old Woman Harley, like, it's mm-hmm. the trend to do that. Yeah. If they ever do Old Man Constantine, mm-hmm. just saying. Yeah. You know, like, you gotta use it, because it's, it, it, and it is because Constantine was in a punk band in the mm-hmm. 70s, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I totally want to see a, a movie about John Constantine in his 60s, mm-hmm. still doing the magic stuff, but trying to regain his youth with the punk rock stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, do you want to move on to Moffat here, or do you yeah, want to say some more about Capaldi? Well, yeah, well, no, I think I think that, I mean, Capaldi's awesome, but let's, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's move on to Moffat, because I think there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, um... 
where do we even begin? <laughs> well, I'm going to start by saying that I believe that he added more to this series than he took away from it. And what do you mean by that? I think that the good stuff that he brought to the role of showrunner is something that is very easily forgotten under the weight of a lot of the things that he kind of kind of like drawbacks that he brought to it. Okay. Um, I think it's very easy to get wrapped up in the negatives with Moffat and they're very valid and I'm not discounting them. Right. But I think that it's also important to remember that he's a fucking good writer mm-hmm. who is very good at certain things that maybe RTD wasn't quite so good at. Um, you know, he legitimately writes scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, of course, you know, that's kind of what he what became known for early on with Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And it's something that he is still... You know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, we just, like in the last episode, looked at World Enough in Time. Which is like a vintage Moffat script. Mm-hmm. Um... There are certain things that he's very good at. He's very funny. He is good at, as much as he became over-reliant on them, he's very good at the overarching arc, the, the plot arcs, mm-hmm. the season arcs, the um, and yes, to a certain degree, the mysteries and the puzzles. Um, and I, I just want to get that out there before we, you know maybe rip into the guy a little bit. <laughs> what what are your thoughts on, on that type of things? No, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, if you look... So are we talking about just his era as showrunner or his era even going back to the Ninth Doctor? I mean, let's go back to the Ninth Doctor, but I think that, you know, that obviously the showrunner is going to be what he's remembered for. Sure. So sticking with the horror aspect... Um, or if if you just look at him from his early days mm-hmm. when the show comes back, right? Right. The, the amount of, and I, I'm going to word it this way, though I don't necessarily mean it this way, but the amount of memes mm-hmm. he's added, the the way he has helped Doctor Who permeate into popular culture. Are you my mummy? Don't yeah. blink. All those stuff which come from you know two of his best horror episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Or horror mm-hmm. stories. Because wait, he did do the Are You My Mummy one, right? Yes, he did. Okay, like. And I think if we then look at, and I'd have to look at a list of episodes and whatnot, but if we then look at the stuff he did with Matt Smith and then Capaldi, mm-hmm. I, 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 I would almost think, and maybe it's because he was there for, you know, running the show for like seven years, mm-hmm. but he added, to piggyback off of what you said, he added so many new um, creatures, mm-hmm. so many new scary hide-behind-the-couch moments that, yeah, we we cannot ever deny him those things. So, yeah, I'm just... I'm just rephrasing everything you just said. <laughs> but I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge his time with 9 and 10 as well, you know. We, I mean, he kind of went from being the the guy who arguably consistently wrote the best story every year. Mm-hmm. You know, he would come in every year, do one story, and it would be the best story that year. Yeah. And then they said, okay, so let's give him you know, the job of actually running the entire show. And when it became clear that he wasn't going to be writing eight blinks every year, (laughs) (laughs) that that was part of what initially turned a lot of people off. Yeah. Like his very second story was Beast Below, which was ass. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think so, I liked it in the moment, if I recall, yeah. but looking mm-hmm. back, yeah, yeah. You know, so... Yeah. Um, but there are quirks to his writing and to him himself that became impossible to ignore mm-hmm. when he was kind of overseeing the entire series. Mm-hmm. Like, even going back to, like, coupling, and even before that, he's got a very definite idea of the role of men and women. Yeah. And you could kind of look past it a little bit with coupling at the time. It's actually really hard to watch that show now. Mm, okay. But there's definitely, uh, you know, men love football, women love shopping, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to that to that show. Um, you know, men are stupid and women are conniving, kind of... You know, it's very easy to fall into those jokes that kind of did come to Doctor Who a little bit when he became the showrunner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Amy's awesome. Amy Pond is amazing. I love, 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 love Amy Pond. But there are aspects to her and to her relationship with both the Doctor and with her husband that are hard to look at. Mm-hmm. Um,. Clara, as much as I love Jenna Coleman, Clara started off as somebody who was a problem to be solved and not an actual character. Yeah. And when she became an actual character, that character was kind of shrewish and bossy. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Bill was kind of the best thing, the best female character he ever wrote was yeah. Bill Potts. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is because he had six, six or seven years of practice. Bill was not a riddle Bill was not a problem Bill was a person Mm. in a way that Clara definitely was not and Amy had some real trouble with and I think that a lot of what made Amy successful was Karen Gillan's portrayal Mm -hmm. so it's very you can't talk about Stephen Moffat and not talk about the way that he writes women and we can't leave out River Song we absolutely cannot leave out River Song because let's be forget he did uh, uh, create that character, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I think I think he fell in love with that character. Yes. And uh, you know, a lot of people wanted her back. Okay, fine. But as you said, she became a puzzle too, like mm-hmm. like Clara and Amy and all these other things. And I think a lot of his uh, tendencies, we'll say, mm-hmm. show up in River. I mean, she's like the platonic ideal of a Stephen Moffat character. Mm-hmm. she's smart and she's funny and she kicks ass and she can hold her own in any situation. She is also someone, a woman who kind of uses her sex as a weapon and is someone who there's a definite feeling of women are better than men. And I'm kind of angry about that mm. with, with Moffat's writing of women. Okay. And that, I think, he brings a lot of that to River Song for better and for worse. Okay. You know, like, again, I mean, I, we've long said, I am not a big fan of River Song, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I, I've never been able to stop thinking of her, of Alex Kingston as a character I didn't like her in, in a show that she was in a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned that before, and that right. a lot of that is on me. But I also think that a lot of that is... A lot of that is the way Moffat writes her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I cannot zero amount of that, even as I sit here and recognize that there's an awful lot that's awesome about River Song. <laughs> River yeah. Song is not ha- River Song has no time for your bullshit, right? <laughs> but you will make time for River Song's bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, she she also in, in the Venn diagram mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of <laughs> Stephen Moffat here. Where his his stuff with the way he writes women is on one side and his mysteries are on the other. There's a huge crossover mm-hmm. in the middle with her because it isn't just the mystery of River. Especially, I mean, we quickly figure out not quickly, but we wind up figuring out who she is. But then it's a matter of putting her stories in the correct order, mm-hmm. not just for us, but for the the Doctor himself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Moffat winds up getting too clever for himself. Mm-hmm. In that regard, with her, and I think that's a problem when you write these season-long mysteries too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can wind up being way too clever for yourself, and then it doesn't land the way you wanted to, or whatnot. Right. Um, so, yeah, he he could do those mysteries, but they didn't always stick. And I think, like I said, I just needed to kind of transition from River to that. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like I know that then I know this was something that you I mean I didn't like it either but I know that you were extremely vocal about it was that Amy Pond especially had kind of carte blanche to be abusive to people yeah uh-huh. she very frequently would slap the doctor around mm-hmm. she honestly was if we're being honest she could be kind of mentally cruel to Rory yeah um and he just stood there and took it because that was his job. Right. As, you know. And, and we were supposed to always find that funny and charming. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it's something that maybe he could have gotten away with in the mid-90s when he was writing sitcoms like that. Right. But when we're otherwise treating these people not as caricatures but as characters, it becomes very problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, which is not to say because Amy, otherwise, Amy, generally speaking, is one of my favorite companions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Amy, but that was an aspect to her character that was really hard to ignore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else do you want to say about Moffat here? I mean, I think that. I think I've said this before. I'm pretty sure I've said this before. RTD was always very good at creating characters mm-hmm. and. That our love and appreciation of the characters that he was writing would kind of override the fact that a lot of his plots made no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Moffat kind of had the opposite problem. He was in love with the situation. He loved the monster. He loved the mystery. He loved the puzzle. And then he was just kind of, you know insert these stock characters that really didn't have any depth to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that somewhere in between those two approaches, you know, the truth lies. Mm-hmm. But, um, but honestly, damn if he couldn't actually write those twisty turny stories sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, give the guy his due. He was good at that. Right. And honestly, I do think that in his last season that he kind of found a way to, pull it together um you know bill is an excellent character you know 
Nardole became a lot of fun. Mm. You know, even Missy, you know, he brought some humanity back to. You know, even if she did kind of maintain <laughs> those traits that we kind of deplore in Moffat's writing with women. Yeah. But it made it okay because it's the master. Come on. Right, exactly, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the the double act of, of Missy and Clara at the beginning of season nine was awesome. Oh, I would have given money for a whole season of that. Absolutely, I would have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, a doctor's companion mm-hmm. with Missy. Like, that is mm-hmm. money, you know? <laughs> I mean, that scene alone where, you know, we said, how, do, how deep do you think that hole is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Push. 20 yep. feet. <laughs> uh-huh. You know? Um, yeah, I, I, I do, I just, I do want to say, I, I I think Stephen Moffat has vastly overstayed his time. Mm-hmm. He's definitely been, in addition to, you know, his shortcomings with, and sometimes I would say even lack of interest in writing for characters, he was good at the things he was good at. Mm-hmm. Even if it meant that he kind of his arrow ran out of quivers along his quiver rather ran out of arrows <laughs> yeah. a long time ago, and he was really reusing a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the list here. I mean, mm-hmm. from April 2010 until July 2017 mm-hmm. was his run. Yeah, you know, and we're talking one, two, three, six proper seasons, and then the two big specials. What was it? The the day of the Doctor and the time of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. You know, six seasons and two, two, two major specials over over seven years. Like, I wouldn't have minded if he had stepped aside after maybe Capaldi's first season, mm-hmm. because something we've not seen in the modern era is a doctor crossing over to a different producer. Right, and we saw that. I mean, with Tom Baker, we saw it seventy-two times, you know, <laughs> you know, and to 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 much effect because I mean, we don't get so many amazing stories if if the producer, or the screen, the head writer, or whatever, sticks around, right? Right. You know, and I would really like to see a doctor actor with a different producer showrunner, and I think Capaldi would have benefited greatly if that had happened. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so and that that's not me saying poo poo to seasons nine or ten. You know, mm-hmm. would it be seasons nine and ten? Yeah, yeah. Um, a- at all, I have to look at the full episodes to you know kind of uh, say that. I just I was just choosing the first season arbitrarily, like set up this mm-hmm. new doctor and then let's see what someone else can do with him. You know, yeah. I mean, because he was showrunner pretty much as long as JNT was. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, the difference being is that during the old series producer and script editor were two different jobs. Sure, yeah. That basically now Moffat, RTD, Moffat, Chibnall are doing both of those jobs now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, John Nathan Turner stayed for seven years and he worked with three doctors, but he also worked with three script editors. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Chris Bidmead for Tom Baker's last season, which was a very sci-fi, hard sci-fi let's look at the science of this situation type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then Eric Sayward for a few years, who was very action, sci-fi, pew-pew, shooty-shooty, run-run. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and then Andrew Cardmill, who was going to 
overthrow the Thatcher administration. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we had this one producer, but we had so many different head writers that it was a very mixed bag of you know there's a lot of variety. Whereas with with um, you know RTD and then Stephen Moffat, it was one person doing that same job the entire time, so it got a little samey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the way the TV works now. Yeah. And which doctors did JNT work with? Was that five, uh, six, and seven, or four, five? Four, five, six, and seven. Four, five, six, and seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So no, you're spot on with what you were saying there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> and I know you did that all off the top of your head too with the producers and the writers. I did, right? kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no judging. I'm sitting here saying I think that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what I had for dinner last night, but you know, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did I have for dinner last night? <laughs> I had vodka for dinner. Uh, that's why I don't remember last night. <laughs> no, I kid. I remember last night. So, um, anyways, um, I'm trying to think what else we can say about Moffat and his era, if anything. I mean, did you, I mean, I've actually been talking quite a bit. Do you have anything to add, or? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm <Okay>. good. <laughs> All right, no, because I've been, I've been, you know, I totally agree with like everything that that you've been saying here. You know, mm-hmm. I was just sort of looking at some of like the episodes and the seasons mm-hmm. um, that 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 he was overseeing, and I think. What you just said there um, was was spot on about having different writers with producers. That's that's kind of something I would like to see brought back mm-hmm. for Doctor Who. Yeah. You know, um, because yeah, otherwise you do kind of wind up with what we got. Mm-hmm. You know, which was you know a mixed bag. You know, but it's if if it's always someone trying to do horror or these mystery boxes that gets tired. You it know, does. yeah. Well, what are some highlights? What are I mean, like, what are some great Moffat stories that you uh, would like, like, go back to when you when you have the opportunity? Uh, when I have the opportunity, um, I always go back to the uh, the two specials, mm-hmm. um, if not the whole things, because uh, you know they're a bit long. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely key moments, um, you know, with the the three doctors standing around the uh, was it the Pandora? Not the Pandora. The 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 sentient machine the when they're gonna kill Gallifrey yeah the the, the, the moment the moment yeah so like th- that moment mm-hmm. I, I I I just love when Clara is sitting there saying I I knew you destroyed your people but I never thought it was you who did mm-hmm. it and then him getting the idea and we see all the doctors including I mean that was also that was awesome because we get to see Capaldi's eyebrows it was mm-hmm. the first time we ever got a doctor before he was properly introduced you know yeah, yeah. so there's a big like if I go back I always go back for the big moments um uh so that's that that's one for me well I kind of go through the episodes what are some that uh you um go back to if I mean I definitely do watch the day of the doctor quite a bit mm-hmm. um but also, I mean, like, I'm just looking at the list now. Like, mm-hmm. the 11th Hour is wonderful. Yes, it is. Yeah. The 11th Hour is, like, one of the best introductions to an era ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy's Choice is a wonderful episode. Yeah. You know? Uh, Vengeance of the Doctor is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, especially if I go back to that one for the interactions between Amy and Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. More than anything else, I wish that one didn't have a monster. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I get why they do. It's Doctor Who. You got to have something. Right. Uh, we can't just ha- we can't really have a true historical. But uh, 
at the time that was the closest they could get and they they did really well with that one yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean the doctor's wife is wonderful which one was the doctor's wife the oh, Neil Gaiman episode yes it the is TARDIS. right yeah yeah okay sorry you're right yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you wish really hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking at like Again, moments in stuff like like a good man goes to war is fine for what it is. It's like mm-hmm. you know a mid season cliffhanger episode, but you know the scenes of you know the poem being read while the fighting happens and yeah, you know the Cyberman ship blowing up and mm-hmm. Amy you know, Amelia Pond get your coat, yeah, you know, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. Yeah, you know? but I gotta I, I gotta say something about that one. Mm-hmm. As much as I do enjoy that episode for what it is, and again, the big moments, I really loathe the fact that they're still teasing the idea that Rory isn't the baby's daddy. Yeah. They're, like, the way it opens, they're, they're still teasing that somehow the doctor is mm-hmm. the actual father of mm-hmm. the baby, you know? And I wish... I don't like the fact that Moffat hung on to Amy's crush on the doctor for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, because it put Rory in such a place where it like kind of cuts the knees out from him. You know, in a, in a lot of ways that I that I'm not comfortable with. You know, like like to the point that again I watched it fairly recently is like during like her actual honest to god wedding, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Yo, you may kiss the bride," and even the doctor's like, "Dude, it's your wedding, knock it off." Like again, like you definitely get the sense that she would be completely down for it just being the three of them. Right, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. If that's, right. if no, that's no, no, no. you know, if everybody involved is down with that, but right. yeah. you get the sense that no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, just some. I mean, honestly, Smith's Smith's first season is pretty great. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of good stuff in his second season. His third season is kind of disappointing, mm-hmm. but. You know, there's some good stuff in there, and of course, you know, I mean, his changeover from from Amy and Rory to Clara at least you know shook things up enough that it it became you know an interesting experience. And of course, I mean, if nothing else, if you as any show that has a scene of the Doctor playing electric guitar while standing on top of a tank <laughs> that's slowly you know rolling into the Coliseum or whatever it was, you know, <laughs> that's a show worth watching. That's a show that worth is. sticking around. <laughs> and, you know, up until we get to Jodie Whittaker, I've been using that rock and roll version of the theme as our mm-hmm. intro song. So yep. Yep. It's, it struck a chord with me. Dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to remind everybody how evil I am. <laughs> I just, Shana, what what does Shana have? How does she deal with this? I have to ask. Her dad is the master of puns. Yeah. So I think she just has learned to ignore them. Uh, (laughs) All right. You know, I I really think so. You know, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, just just backing up just a little, um, sticking with, um, let's see, I guess it would be Matt Smith and 
whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier, I had said that Moffat was clearly in love with the River Song character. Yes. And I think he definitely was with Amy. Maybe not Rory. Um, but it's so evident in the fact that he could not let those characters go. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many goodbyes did they have? I mean, I'm not oh, even being so funny. Many. So like, many goodbyes. Yeah, every time you think the Doctor's going to move on, oh, wait, no, there they are in the background with a little girl that recognizes that Amy's a model. And mm-hmm. now the power of three happens, I think yeah. it was. And Manhattan and all this and that. It's like, just let them go. And I think that kind of hurt that... Um, that season, that, that mm-hmm. Smith's final season, is like, yeah, yeah, great, we get a new companion halfway through, cool, but, you mm-hmm. know, we sh- we've, I don't know if we should have had Clara much earlier as the full companion, but, my gosh, we needed to, to let those other characters go, because you never knew, like, you, you it, it could then make you think, well, are they going to come back? Are they going to come back? Are they going to come back? Yeah. You know, it, it kind of gives you this sense of, like, maybe Clara is not really a companion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Because so yeah, I just, right. I just they had a that. great, great, great goodbye in was it the God Complex? I'd have to go back and see. I don't remember. But um, then they just kind of kept going for seven or eight more episodes. Uh huh. Yeah, because the God Complex is the th- I'm looking at it right now the third to last of season six. Mm-hmm. Then closing time. So he's with um, what's his Craig. face? That's a Craig yeah. episode. Then we have the wedding of River Song. And then we get a whole new season, mm-hmm. and they're still there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did the God Complex, how did they let them go there? They didn't die. What, what did happen? Why am I forgetting that? Yeah, I can't, I'm... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I don't but know. yeah, they, they definitely left somewhere about there, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he was here. He stayed too long. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stephen Moffat, for your service. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good luck in your future endeavors. <laughs> yeah. I suspect he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is he moving on to? I mean, is Sherlock still going? Sherlock is still going for at least another year, and I think okay. he's working on... There's something else he's coming up with that is like another it adaptation is. of something. You're right. It wasn't... Oh, gosh. It wasn't Dracula or something. It was... I could swear it was another character from that same era... Of what you call it, um, Sherlock Holmes, isn't it? Yeah, let me, um, I'm actually going to look it up now because I know that there's more coming. Yeah, I forgot he did that Tintin movie. He did the Tintin movie, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't place it offhand. Yeah, I can't find it either, but yeah, he's definitely doing another something. Yeah, he is. (laughs) You shouldn't have come here. This is a trick! It is no trick, young man. You both forced your way into the ship. I did not invite you. I see no reason why I should explain anything. Ship. I use your own outdated terminology for any craft which does not roll along on wheels. You mean it moves? TARDIS can go anywhere. TARDIS? I don't know what you mean, Susan. I made up TARDIS from the initials. Time and relative dimension in space. Well, I thought you'd both realize when you came inside and saw the different dimensions from outside. Just let me get this right. A thing that looks like a police box, stuck in a junkyard, can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Oh, Susan, don't be ridiculous. They'll never understand, my child. Why won't you believe us? We just want you to tell us the truth. You have heard the truth. We are not of this race. We are not of this earth. We are wanderers in the fourth dimensions of space and time. 
cut off from our own planet and our own people by eons and universes that are far beyond the reach of your most advanced sciences. It's true. Every word of it's true. You don't know what you've done coming here. Grandfather, let them go now. Don't you see if they don't believe us, they can't do us any harm. I know these Earth people better than you. Their minds reject things they don't understand. No. So second up today is an unearthly child. Wait, what? Didn't we cover this? I don't know. In episode one? Yes. But Ten years around, ago. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yes. But this time around, we are looking at the original unaired pilot. I'm not going to go through the synopsis. <laughs> Just go back to episode one. It's the same thing, but with minor tweaks. And we'll get into them as we speak about it. Like I said, I, won't go, I, said I wasn't going to go into the, the plot. I'll give you the very bare bones. There's these two concerned teachers. Or there's, two, there's two teachers. They're concerned about their student because she's very bright in some aspects, mm -hmm. not so bright in others. They stalk her back to her home, which happens to be a junkyard. They... <laughs> push their way into the TARDIS and roop, 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 the adventure begins. So mm -hmm. that's that's really, I mean, it's it's the same story that we saw, you know, all the way back in 1963. Um, so, Dan, you, you're the one that said, hey, let's cover this for our 10th anniversary special. Why did you choose this one specifically? I mean, it just seemed like, I don't know, like a thing that we for some reason like which surprised the hell out of me <laughs> never got around to looking at mm -hmm. you know um it just seemed like a nice way to kind of come around to the beginning mm -hmm. to kind of pay a uh, tribute to the first doctor that we've just kind of been paying tribute to mm -hmm. in basically the last episode um honestly it was something special to do for this episode that was not going to be hugely time-consuming because I think we realized like a week or two ago that this was actually coming. Yeah. Like, oh my God, we've been doing this show for 10 years as of like 10 days from now. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. What can we throw together? <laughs> you know, it was not a huge expenditure of time while at the same time being something that was really important and special to the show. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as, and as you said, because we had just had some time with a version of the first Doctor just made sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now, had, I assume you had seen this before. Yes, I had. Where I had not. So, what was like? I mean, what are your thoughts about this? What was your experience seeing this? Just what's 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 your history with this? My history with this is I saw this. I want to say back when I think it was when An Earthly Child first came out on DVD. Mm, okay. It was one of the bonus features. Mm -hmm. Um, and I watched it and my initial feeling was it's so similar but also it's not there mm -hmm. they don't have it yet and I can tell actually why this didn't sell mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like cause this as close as this is to what we got and to what made that first episode so good it doesn't work mm -hmm. um, but we'll unpack that what did you think now having seen this for the first time when it started, I'm like, crap, did I click the right file? Mm -hmm. Because it's so... I mean, we have the same actors. We have, like, There's those two uh, high school students that come out and they whisper in each other's ear after the boy like teases mm -hmm. one of them. Like, those are the same actors, at least the girls are. I don't know about the boy, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh man, I, I, I gotta check. But then I realized once we got to Susan, it was different. Mm -hmm. And 
for me, my big takeaway here was how much more alien the Doctor and Susan are. Um, not just flat out admitting, like there's that whole sequence where the Doctor sits down in his chair and he's like, yes, she's from the 49th century and we're from another planet. Like he completely outlines everything. He doesn't say mm-hmm. say Gallifrey, but he, he might as well, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, they are much more menacing characters, much more alien characters, mm-hmm. where in the uh, original, I think they're much... Um, it's going to sound weird to say softer, considering how yeah. grumpy he was originally. But yeah. they're much more, uh, um, I guess we'll say, relatable characters in the way uh, uh, it, it did wind up airing. But, um, yeah, I thought it was rather fascinating mm-hmm. seeing this. Um, now, you said you you see why it didn't sell as mm-hmm. is. Now, what do, you, what do you mean by that? It's not, first of all, it's really not very tight. Okay. Um, like, it feels like they need to kind of go over it a couple more times before they actually commit it to film. Okay. Um, there is... They haven't figured out the character of the Doctor or Susan. The Doctor's just outright malevolent. Yes. In this pilot. He was an asshole. He was a crotchety asshole who didn't want people on his lawn. Mm -hmm. In the pilot as... Aired... But in this, he's just outright, I'm going to kidnap them and leave them wherever because they cannot go back to civilization and tell people about us. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he actually comes out and says, I'm going to kill them, but he's going to kill them. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they they get into the TARDIS, which looks kind of tatty. Um, and Susan is wearing the 60s ideal of what people will be wearing in the 49th century. Mm-hmm. You know, the bright gold vest. <laughs> you know, with the shiny boots. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the doctor's just wearing a suit and tie. Right, yeah. Like, he's got the wig and he's got the hat, but otherwise he's just dressed like a guy. Right, yeah. Which is weird. Uh, uh. <laughs> You know, like, we get much more of a sense of, you know, Ian as that hip young teacher that the kids all like. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, in the, the episode as aired, yes, he knew the band that she was talking about and listening to on the radio. But here, he's, like, clearly a fan. He knows the actor, like, the, the lead singer's real name mm-hmm. and the band he was in before that and the songs that they used to do. And, like, like you know, he's he's that teacher. Right, yeah. He's that teacher that, like, you know... <laughs> turns the chair around and like swings his leg over it to kind of lean over the back of the chair uh-huh. you know, so that he can rap with the kids. <laughs> but like when you're watching this, like what like what do you come away from it? Like 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 what struck you as weird about this? It what you had uh, said there about the doctor. Mm-hmm. He is flat out like if they leave the TARDIS, it would be they're going to leave here with knowledge of space and time travel, mm-hmm. and that would be like giving so and so gunpowder or giving mm-hmm. humans the wheel way ahead of time, you know. And uh, that he he he's not letting them leave. I'm not like you know, is he going to kill him? Is he going to drop him somewhere? But it's um, he just he comes across like a bad guy. Yeah. 
almost, where I went back and I watched not the full uh, aired Unearthly Child, but the sequence from the moment they pop into the TARDIS to the point where they first root, root, root away, right? Mm-hmm. And something I didn't pick up the first time we watched it, and even subsequent viewings, because I watched that one maybe a couple times a year, because I just think it's such an amazing episode of television, you know? Right, yeah. Um, something I've only picked up, I never picked up until now, was in the one that aired, it seems like the Doctor takes them mm-hmm. To prove he's right, mm-hmm. like because Ian is like Ian and Barbara are like, oh, space time, space travel, or space travel is possible, mm-hmm. but time travel isn't. Blah 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 blah, right? And he's like, oh, really? Click, root, root, root. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really seems like he's like he's like had his manhood question, and so he mm-hmm. <laughs> just rips them out of time and sends them into space and all that. Right. Um, where yeah, this one it really does come across like if this had aired as is, ah. Uh, and and the show continued with that version of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know how how far it would have got because he is just such a he's a meanie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I had a better word than that, but he is he is just downright sinister. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It, it also like in the in the aired version, he's very much about you know they can't know about space and time travel. Right. Mankind's not ready for that yet. This would be a disaster. We're here. It's more like, you know, if they leave here, they will tell people and more people will come. I don't need that headache. Right, yeah. I don't need more people Mm -hmm. in this junkyard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Poking around Mm -hmm. here, stepping on my crap, trying to get in here. Fuck that. You know, let's just, Mm -hmm. let's just, we're going to take off. You know, whereas the first time, you're absolutely right. You know, as aired, it's much more of a, well, I'll show you. Who's a crazy old right. man and is you know, <laughs> you know, keeping his daughter in a box, you know. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just like, nope, we are going. We are going somewhere. I am li- dropping you off, and then we are going to say goodbye. Talk to you later. See ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, Ian and Barbara are not that. That trip is not going to go well for Ian and Barbara. <laughs> no. And you also. When you watch those segments specifically back to back, as I did, you really see how in this unaired version, he's abusive to Susan. Mm-hmm. Where in the aired version, he's like, I t- he does say he gets me- angry with her because, and he has every right to be upset, you know, not at her, but upset in general. And he's like, I told you this would happen. Now we got to go. Mm-hmm. And Susan is like, in the aired version, well, I'm staying behind because I like Earth and I like the 60s, so fuck off, old man. Like, she, she's she got a lot of agency, right? Mm-hmm. In this one, he's constantly pointing the finger at her, saying, why did you invite them here? This is all your fault that they're snooping around. I told you we shouldn't have been here. Mm-hmm. And then when he says... um she, you know, where it's like, well, what's he going to do with them? Is he going to kill them? What's he going to do? Mm-hmm. She like begs him instead of saying, I'm going to stay here and I don't want to go. She says, no, 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 no. I'll do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly leave this era. Like she is clearly being abused uh, verbally mm-hmm. at the very least yeah. by this man before this moment, before, you know, this, this 25, 30 minute sequence of her life that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to see her agency change. Mm-hmm. But also their interactions, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was striking to yes. me. This is not a guy. I didn't get the sense that this was a guy who loved his granddaughter. No, where you you get that somewhat in the in the first one, then over the course of the time that they do spend together on the series, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. This this is a guy who 
just hates everybody, it seems, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just, it definitely feels like there was a bit of a script rewrite, like just just little touch-ups here and there, Uh that I think just made it tighter and better. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Susan's little art project... Oh yeah! Like what yeah. the hell was that? You know, she's so weird. Look at the way she paints. <laughs> yeah. Well, did she draw the TARDIS console? No, I think it was she was weirdness. Just, just okay. Jagged lines and dots and whatever. Okay, yeah, because I know she did the dots and then she folded it over, but then she started drawing lines, and for some reason, I thought it was supposed to be you know mm-hmm. the center of the TARDIS. Yeah, I don't you know? know, but I don't know. But. Yeah, where where yeah, in the aired one, she's just like, yeah, we'll finish this book by tomorrow, and she has a certain knowledge of history that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here she's, and this is why I was calling her alien, or more alien than this one. She's just staring off camera. Yeah, you know, like, and I, I mean, that's a, a, the 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 choice they told. You know, that's that's was the choice she decided to make because that's the way they're playing the character here. But yeah, yeah, she she's so different here. <laughs> you know, one thing I did like about this thing it's so weird but like the little thunderclap during the uh opening credits that was strange yeah <laughs> i don't know uh-huh. why i just thought it worked <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah that was like i said th- that was one of the things where i was like wait am i watching the right file am i not I'm like oh wait, wait no there we go i forgot there was that thunderclap noise or whatever mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah uh do you think people should watch this version of an unearthly child I think it's an interesting curio. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly nothing to be lost by watching it. Um, it's not mandatory. It's not compulsive viewing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting little cultural artifact. A little mm-hmm. footnote to the show that it's so close. Like, it's like 90% there. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they just haven't figured out how to get it over the goal line. Come here. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. A box. Doctor, what is it? I've got mail. We got us an email, and it came to us from Davy. Dear Tobias Vaughn and Packer. Go on, Mike, say Packer for me. Packer? <laughs> <laughs> I meant to write in for the last ep that just landed a few hours ago, but I didn't realize you'd be recording so soon after the last episode. The gaps, neither did we. Yeah, neither did we. <laughs> the gaps have been much bigger recently. That is very true. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Mike actually uh, probably cut this out, but I, I pointed out. Our fifth anniversary was episode 130. <laughs> this one is 28 episodes after that one. <laughs> Yes, the gaps yep. have the gaps have gotten pretty big. <laughs> yeah, and we're about to enter into another one. Yeah, that's that's true. We'll address that once we're done with the email. Yeah. Apologies and please indulge the length of this email, but Jesus, <laughs> the Doctor Falls means so much to me. I have to be somewhat verbose. If you can be kind enough to read this for someone who's written in many times, I'd appreciate it. As what I think of these two episodes is important to me. Allow me to preface this by saying I'm not reactionary. I'm not excitable or fickle by nature. I've been a Who fan since the early 90s and have every TV episode, every Target book, every Virgin New Adventure, Virgin Missing Adventure, Past Doctor Adventures, Eighth Doctor Adventure ever written. Okay, wait a minute. Hang on, on, peeps. Mm -hmm. Peeps. Jesus Christ. Hang on, people. Mm -hmm. Because 
you're not seeing how this is written. Mm-hmm. These are written as just the letters, mm-hmm. and Dan knows his shit well enough to know <laughs> like what those stood for. So that was VNA, VMA, PDA, the number 8DA. Mm-hmm. So just, just saying, like, props to you. It was like the producer thing earlier where you're like, yeah, I know who was producing and writing in during these eras. Yeah. This, this is what I bring to this party. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was the thrust of this show. You're, you're the knowledgeable one, yeah. you know, and I'm me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you got there, Mike. <laughs> I've got every big finish story. Most importantly, I'm not... This is the best story ever every time there's a new one out. And yet, The Doctor Falls is my favorite story ever in Who history in any medium. Hyperbole? No. Deep, deep love. Random musings on my favorite parts. Missy deciding once and for all to become the force for decency that the Doctor wanted her to be, then dying before she gets the chance. She decided to go to her oldest friend in his hour of need, and he'll never know she did. It's gorgeous. Oh, shit, that's true. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Tragic and gorgeous. The scene of her and Sim both howling at the ironies of it all, that he slash she really is their own worst enemy. It was fantastic, but then seeing Missy lie back dying and the smile vanish from her as she slips away, looking up, maybe thinking, like her friend, it would be nice to see stars. Man. Goodbye, yeah. Michelle Gomez. You were wonderful. Mm-hmm. And Missy, best master ever. More, more depth, more cool, more bravado, more cunning, more interesting. Nardole. He leaves to save a community, knowing they're only postponing their deaths, not stopping them. For a character who seemed a bit superfluous, he goes out a hero here, a protector. He was a coward when he joined the Doctor, and the Doctor made him a better man. Gorgeous again. He's willingly going to stand before an oncoming army of Cybermen all over again, somewhere down the line for these strangers. He's become the doctor. Oh, okay. I'm so effing happy you played Capaldi's speech about where I stand is where I fall in full, as it's probably the best speech in Who history. It's a mission statement for the character across all the incarnations. I realize that for all his sins, for all the murder and genocide, I've never really been truly angry at the Master and his actions until this episode. When he did that, you see this face lined to Capaldi after that speech. I honestly hated him. I was furious in a way I've never been when told he's wiped out a chunk of the universe or decimated Earth. Moffat's writing and the acting of Capaldi and Sim made me feel something much more intense than any panto histrionics. All it took was a smarmy, dismissive comment, not I'm going to rule the world BS. Wonderful mm-hmm. stuff. Capaldi surviving that cyber attacking him? How did he survive it? Well, he didn't. The first time we see the Reg energy, we realize he's already dead. He's just not admitting it. When Tennant was killed by radiation, he visited old pals in a lap of victory. Not for this doctor. He has people to save. He'll die when he's got the time. (laughs) Until then, fight. Yes, Doctor Who, yes. Now, Mike, you're a Keys of Marinus fanboy. Hell yeah. As I said, I've got all the spinoff material. If you didn't know when Capaldi is ringing off the times he's defeated the Cybers, he mentioned Marinus. That was in the Sixth Doctor episode, uh, the Sixth Doctor comic strip, The World Shapers. A true bit of fan service there. Speaking of spin-off material, nothing here contradicts Big Finish's masterpiece, Spare Parts. This isn't the origin of all Cybermen, just these ones. As the Doctor says, mm-hmm. Cybermen are inevitable. Some things always are. Like Trump. <laughs> I heard lots of, well, the Puddle Girl came from nowhere. That's nonsense. 
Twice while Bill was a Cyberman, she was crying impossible tears, which were, we only find out later, the tears left to her by the pilot. That she knew to turn up then as the tear gave her that connection. It's a bit, it's a setup right at the start of the episode, pretty much, though we don't know it until afterwards. A bit magic, sure. It's set up way back in episode one, even when Bill finds the tear, she doesn't think she actually cried. And I will say this, uh, just to interrupt a little bit, Davey, I think that's absolutely right. I think Moffat knows that these are going to get watched and rewatched ad infinitum. Mm. So he doesn't need to make these big obvious callbacks when he knows that you know it's there. When you know people who watch the you know do a season rewatch will notice it. So I do kind of like that. Yeah, and I can't, I can't speak of something that happened in the pilot and mm-hmm. then what happened in the Doctor Falls. But what I will say, something I didn't pick up on mm-hmm. in um, World Enough in Time mm-hmm. is when Razor has the gun on Missy. Before we know that's the master, um, he makes a comment. He says something like, yeah, I was... Or he says to Missy, you were never that self-destructive. And he throws away the gun and he says, and neither was I. But then they wind up killing each other. Uh And I'm like, oh, gosh, I totally missed that the first time I watched this. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know what it was going to lead to. But now knowing they do wind up killing each other, it's a real nice... It's a nice little setup. It's foreshadowing, Mike. That's Mm -hmm. the word. (laughs) It's some really good foreshadowing of what those two will do to each other but instead of being face to face they do it to each other's backs because the master right you know yeah if you spare the indulgence a quick few words about twice upon a time as i think writing in about it next step will feel kind of old hat as we'll be at jody by then i always debate with who fans when they think oh there's no monster this sucks the drama isn't always necessarily about having a bad guy drama is conflict here the conflict was internal the monster is the doctor letting himself considering letting himself die forever. As Nardole says, the universe would go cold. That's the threat. That's the villain there. Mm. Another beautiful story here. When people said that it was too low-key for a region, they're conditioned by previous New Who ones to think that, and it's a shame. Mm. We're coming off the Doctor Falls, the app that actually killed the Doctor, which was a huge epic finale featuring multiple masters and every Cyberman ever. Mm. Why try and top that? When you can't go bigger, go intimate. I know the sexism jokes caused a lot of people to bemoan the episode, but I think they failed to appreciate the first Doctor is being used more as a comedic avatar to represent the attitude of the times the character is created in from the 60s, rather than saying, this is what William Hartnell was like on screen. Mm-hmm. Just as he should know what browser history is, being someone well up on future tech and computers, but because he's in character, informed by the 60s, he doesn't know that stuff. It's a bit of fun, and honestly, if we just got the smacked bottom bit rather than the two or three others, it would barely be an issue. Mm-hmm. For me, it was worth it for Capaldi's apologetic, you can't say that stuff these days, shtick. <laughs> Lovely bit of business. And hey, Moffat went about went out pissing some fans off. Good for him, twas ever thus. Well, and I, I do wonder if um, Moffat using the first Doctor and having him make sexist comments and jokes, if... That was a little bit of Moffat, I don't want to say atoning for, but maybe acknowledging that he did put those jokes in mm-hmm. in modern era stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or or was he just writing those jokes because, ooh, I can get away with it because the first Doctor made him in the 60s. Like, mm-hmm. is it both? Is it one? Is it neither? Just something I was thinking about. Yeah. The episode also had that lovely line where the Capaldi doc says the Earth is defended and Bradley has no idea what he means. 
He's helped where he could, but, and new fans won't know, Hartnell is long before the heroic grandstanding doctor, and long before Troughton's defiant they-must-be-fought speech, which is really the genesis of that characterization of the doctor actively pursuing the monsters. Gatus was wonderful, brig relation or otherwise, and Pearl, Matt, and Jenna getting their moments was lovely. I really loved Clara, and when Capaldi got his memories back of her, man, I lost my shit. Capaldi's gentle smile broke me. I could rewatch Capaldi's delight when Bradley calls the TARDIS the ship over and over. <laughs> it's a really lovely moment. I always like the ship as opposed to the massively overused, especially by Big Finish, old girl. Mm. Matt Smith fetishized the TARDIS, but to Capaldi it was the machine again, not an object of desire. Mm. Then Capaldi's final speech. That was some good stuff. The stuff about only children being able to hear his name, and only when the stars line up fit right into the fairy tale nature of the story, and since Moffat's era started with a fairy tale of the girl in the garden and the madman in the box, brought us full circle to the 11th hour. Interesting. And unlike the 11th hour where the TARDIS is crashing, it seems to have chucked the Doctor out this time. Yeah, you know what? I wanted to bring that out, Mm -hmm. or bring that up when uh, I was synopsizing it. Like, when I was watching this today, and it's not something I picked up on the first time I saw this special, mm-hmm. it does look like it's trying to shake her out. The way the TARDIS is moving, mm-hmm. it's like it's trying to dump something out of it. Did you pick up on that, or no? No, that's, this bitch, you're right. Yeah, it's, if, if people can, go back and watch that moment. It definitely looks like it's shaking itself to be like, hey, what? <laughs> there's something in here. I mean, and it's hurting. The TARDIS is hurting, so of course it would want whatever hurt it out, you know, even right. if it is the Doctor. And Moffat allowed himself a few nods to his own past. The planet Rusty was on was Villengard. That's the planet Captain Jack's weapon came from in the Moff's first new story, The Doctor Dances. Nice. The planet that Eccleston says he visited and turned the weapons factories into banana groves because bananas are good. Unlike pears, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Laugh hard, run fast, be kind. Words to live by. We first saw the Twelfth Doctor when we saw Capaldi's eyes in the 50th anniversary special. Nice symmetry, then, that the regen is focusing on those same eyes, and that's how we meet Jody. Interesting. And her sheer delight on realizing she's a woman? Ah, oh, brilliant indeed. Mm-hmm. As I've remarked before, Capaldi has been the actor I won in the role since the wilderness years. I never thought I'd get him. I did, and he's everything I hoped for and more. He is the doctor for me. And Stephen Moffat, who has taken more shit than anyone in Who history, <laughs> he's the best writer the show has ever had. Not always but his peaks are so impossibly high. As I write this, the wonderful Demons of the Punjab has aired and Jody's well-established. She's light, friendly, and yet generic. A tenant without the angst. I'm a massive fan of the gender swap idea, but that doesn't mean we need to love every female in the role. Jody so far is new who by the numbers. I miss Capaldi. I miss Moffat. I miss Bill, Clara, Nardole. And yet... Uh, let, me, let me just jump in there real quick. Sorry. Okay. Um, I think I think that's okay, so far to to have because I kind of agree with her doctors a little generic ish, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not me slighting. Um, uh, 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 I just lost her name, Jody. Um, Jody Whitaker at all. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out what this doctor's about. Mm-hmm. You know, we very much had Eccleston as the the angry doctor who just saw war, but he's trying to hide it behind. A clearly fake smile. You know, Tennant was, you know, the angsty one. Smith was trying to be young again. Mm-hmm. Capaldi had some anger issues himself, you know. So I think now that we're kind of past that, everybody has to figure out who this doctor is, and that includes the actor and the writer. So mm-hmm. I get why they're kind of maybe playing it a little safe with her or, or haven't fully defined her 
her full, full persona, what'll be like five, six episodes in at this point. Uh, as know. we record this, we've seen six episodes. Right, yeah. And so by the time this one airs, seven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. And yet, that's Doctor Who. Life depends on change and renewal, to quote Troughton in The Power of the Daleks. Despite my misgivings halfway through season 11, no one seems to care it's the woman doctor anymore. It's just the doctor, as it should be. Mm. And big fan, that really depends on what, uh, what board you're looking at there, Davey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, true. Uh, as it should be. And Big Finish will bring my era back someday soon. Michelle Gomez has already signed up for a Missy set and facing off against River Song in a box with River facing four masters. Beavers, Jacoby, Gomez, and for the first time since the TV movie, Eric Roberts back in Doctor Who. Who's Beavers? Uh, Jeffrey Beavers was the burnt up master at the end of Keeper Dragon. Oh, okay, okay. If you were kind enough to read this fucking epic in full, I want you to know just how much this show has meant to me. You're both friends. Not just on Facebook, but we're all linked by this odd, wonderful show, too. 55 years and counting. Love to you both, Davey. Thank you very, very much, Davey, for writing that and really expressing how much this story and this era and Moffat mm-hmm. uh, in particular uh, meant to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Davey. That was... That was really good. We appreciate that very much. Now, I have a question going back to pretty early on, maybe midway through the email, Mm -hmm. where Davey mentions uh, a line by Troughton, Mm -hmm. where that sort of kicks off the world being protected. Mm -hmm. I don't remember that line. Do you remember what story? Yes, I do, actually. That was from the moon base, uh, where the Cybermen were basically swarming over the moon base. You know, and Mm -hmm. if we don't stop them here, they'll move on to Earth. Okay. And yes, that was, you know, you know, we have faced terrible evils, you know, no one else has ever, you know, you know, the universe is full of danger, it must be fought. Okay, because for me, at least I just don't remember that moment, I'm, I'm going to have to go back mm-hmm. and, and check that out. For me, the moment where the Doctor becomes like, you know, th- this world is protected, mm-hmm. is that amazing moment where... Um, Hartnell is just holding his lapels mm-hmm. as he's in the alley, I think it is. And what's coming at him? It's not a dollar. The war it's machine. It's a, the war machine. That's a, I, I was going to say Chumbly, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Those were not Chumblies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as the war machine comes at him. Now, yeah, the way it picks up is kind of lame, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But that cliffhanger to me is the doctor finally accepting his role as protector of Earth. Because that's even such a, something. It's such an amazing shot because he's standing his ground while just chaos is exploding around him. Because mm-hmm. people are just proto unit behind him. No, no, no. That's later. Uh, oh, okay. That's not. It's not in that story. But like, okay. people are just running in the opposite direction. Oh yeah, yeah. and he's just surrounded mm-hmm. by people that are trying to get past him, and he's just standing there staring it down. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. shot. It was otherwise a very poor story, right? Yeah, but um, oh yeah, that shot is amazing. <laughs> like that's a tenant doctor uh, right gave- there. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. So Davey gave his, I gave mine. Do you have a moment where um, the Doctor became sort of the protector of Earth or humankind, or have you thought about it before? The thing that came for me, and it's very early on, is the Sensorites, which, of course, is the fucking Sensorites. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> but yeah, it's okay. the first time that the Doctor says, okay, we know where they are, let's go into the sewers or the tunnels or wherever, We'll go, we'll find them, we'll stop them. Because it's the first time up to up to that point, everything that's happened has happened to him. Yeah. 
everything that he's been about has either been let's get the fuck out of here <laughs> or we've been kidnapped and we need to figure out a way out of here or you know let's just get to the ship and get out of here and you know let whatever's going to happen here happen here that mm. moment is the first time that he's actually said something bad is happening we're going to go look for it yeah you're right mm-hmm. Because even in the Dalek one, the only reason they're going to the Dalek city is to like get a part or something mm-hmm. for the TARDIS, right? They gotta get their fluid link back. So that, yeah, because they're so they're not even investigating it because hey, it's cool. Let's investigate a new planet. Mm-hmm. It's like no, we need a thing. Yeah, and then we have to go back to the TARDIS. So, okay, yeah, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. I might have to watch that moment too, the the sensorite one, mm-hmm. even though it's the sensorites. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I recall, you liked the sensorites more than I did. I I do, but it's still the sensorites. It is still the sensorites. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that's an interesting question I want to mm-hmm. ask um, our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could tweet at us. You know, I'm at Earth underscore two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, do you mind giving me your Twitter? You don't have to. My you... Twitter is Urban Spaceman sixty one. Um, or write in. Go to the Earth two and forums forums that Earth dash the number two dot net, mm-hmm. and let us know what was the moment where the Doctor became either the Doctor or like the protector mm-hmm. for you. I think I think that's a really cool. Yeah, uh, uh, idea that we all have this different moment, whether it was something in the classic era, modern era, you know, just whatever. And maybe it's it's a doctor specific, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going back to the, the what we were talking about with Jodie Whittaker, maybe where they're playing it a little safe with her. Yeah. You know, is, is there a moment where uh, in the future, if you're listening to this well down the line, where she became mm-hmm. the, the, the doctor for you, where she had that moment? Because for me, she's already had it. Yeah. Um, she's had it a couple of times, mm-hmm. but very much in the um, uh, the, the the medical ship one. Mm-hmm. There, there's so many great doctor moments in that. Yeah, um, where it's like, yeah, she's the doctor right there. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to do it a doctor spe- or actor specific, if you want to do it just overall, mm-hmm. I, yeah, let us know. I actually have one more. Um, okay. Like the one that I gave is a very good. You know, we're going to be the one protected. But he has like my my the very first in my mind just badass moment was a couple stories after that was the Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh-huh. Where, you know, they realize where they are. You know, the Daleks have invaded. It's already been conquered. You know, the Daleks have already conquered the Earth. And they've been captured. And, you know, the Daleks are, you know, kind of filling them in on what's going on. And, you know, we are the masters of Earth. And Hartnell just says, not for long. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> It's like, oh man, okay, yeah, that's the doctor right there. <laughs> and so long as I'm here, what the hell do you mean you're not going to regenerate? That has to be an end, Bill. For everyone. Everywhere. What about the captain? You know he has to die at his allotted point in time and space to correct the error. So tired of losing people. If the captain has to die, a request. This was our fault. How so? Let us take it back. How was this our fault? You and me, trying to die twice in the same lifetime. Our lives are woven throughout time and space. We caused the timeline error that put the captain in the wrong place. We created a whirlpool in time that landed him at our feet. But why him? What's so important about one captain? Everybody's important to somebody. Somewhere. Are you all right? Yes, if 
time, absolutely. Just thinking. I told the wife I'd be home for Christmas. Funny how things work out. words were attached to actual meanings of some sort. One thing you could possibly do for me if you're very kind. Oh, anything. Name it. My family. Perhaps you could look in on them from time to time. We should be delighted. Uh, uh, what's the name? Lethbridge Stewart. Captain Archibald Hamish Lethbridge Stewart. I shall make it my business. Just about that. Thank you so much. I believe I am now ready. If you'd like to send us an email, you can address it to feedback at biggerontheinside.com. That's feedback at biggerontheinside.com. Next time, <laughs> we which is going to be a little while, yeah. we are going to cover Jodie Whittaker's first episode as the Doctor called The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Now, we don't know how long the break's going to be. Um, you know, Traditionally, we do take a couple of months because we need the season to wrap up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still... Um, I think it ends in, what, early or mid-December? Yeah, we're about a month out. Yeah, so we, we still got a little time, and then, you know, we'll, we'll take some time off, take time to process the season, and then the show will come back. Mm -hmm. Keep an eye on this space. Um, keep an eye on the Twitter handles that we just uh, gave to you a few minutes ago, and you will definitely see when the show is coming back. But if you want to hear more from Dan and myself, of course, we're on Earth2.net, the show, talking comics all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but do not forget that we also have our Star Trek pro uh, project, but also podcast, mm -hmm. called The Edge of Forever, where at the moment, Dan and I are entering the second and final season of Star Trek the Animated Series. And once that's over, we are going to jump into the, <laughs> the Star Trek movies mm -hmm. before we get to TNG and everything else. So uh, that show, of course, uh, I think I might have mentioned it already, I don't know, is called The Edge of Forever. Please seek that out if you would like to hear us talk about Star Trek. And yeah, because, mm -hmm. I mean, just to kind of step in on that a little bit um you know we're obviously entering a very interesting cool time on that podcast because mm -hmm. over the course of like the next i think seven episodes mm -hmm. we're going to be finishing up the animated series talking about the first few movies and getting into tng yeah so things are going to be turning over quite a bit over the next few podcasts over there yeah because does does tng start before or after the fifth movie before the fifth so, okay, so it's two cartoons, mm -hmm. episodes, 
four movies, TNG starts. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're looking at? Yes. Wow, that is such a seismic shift. And we're talking, that's like a good 15-year span, too. Yep, it is. In the way uh, 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 that was produced. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, should I should I say it? Should I announce it or tease yeah, it? Yeah, go for it. When we cover the movies, I'm not going to say who, but we are going to have a third host. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was just um we just just the other day, honestly, like this week. <laughs> I think it was that that came about and I'm very excited for that, but again, I am going to just tease that there. Uh specifically the cartoon episodes that we have coming up at the start of the second season of the animated series are The Pirates of Orion, Bam, and The Practical Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, finishing up the closeout here. Please don't forget you can support Bigger on the Inside by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bigger on the inside. For Dan Toland, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to Bigger on the Inside, whether this is your first episode or you've listened ever since the very first one 10 years ago. Thank you very much for continuing to support the show, and we will see you in a couple of months when Bigger on the Inside returns. Thank you. Thank you.